and the citrus is really coming in. It's there, but it's not overpowering. It's totally balanced. This is blowing my socks off, honestly. This is fantastic. <laughs> it's uh, blowing your socks off? It is. It, it's that? blowing my socks off in the final. I, I, I th- thought for I think, sure. I think the expression is knocking your socks off. I'm, I'm not sure how one would blow one's socks off. <laughs> they tried to do that at Mythbusters. It didn't quite work. <laughs> Stumbled on into the Tap Takeover podcast. Started with a passion for their family and brewing, Belova Brewing defines what community tap room really means. Located in the heart of the old village of Brookfield, Belova has become the epicenter for the neighborhood to gather. However, starting this brewery was anything but straightforward. After a long and successful career, Gordon Lane decided to retire and work on his passion of brewing beer. And Gordon joins us today to talk about that path that brought him to opening Beloba Brewing. Thanks for joining us today, Gordon. Well, thanks for having me. So, as we always do, let's put some names to the voices. This is Jim. This is Alex. This is Seuss. And this is Gordon. Great. So, let's talk about how Beloba kind of got started here. And for me, is like, where did this name come from? Yeah, it was, uh, we were talking as a family about wanting to do something together. Uh, finally, I said, you know, there's two things we can do. We can either brew beer or we can make cheese because I'm a licensed cheesemaker. And my statement was, you know, beer is a lot of fun, very safe product. So on the other hand, if we make cheese, it's highly regulated. And if you screw up, you could actually cause somebody to get sick. So why don't we do beer? So we, <laughs> we, we kind of decided from that. And then uh, we spent literally like two years trying to figure out a name. Played with uh, we actually played with even Trillium at one point before it got <laughs> <laughs> that was before it got formed out on the west east coast and that sounds like a great name for a brewery. <laughs> yeah it was it was very funny but you know my mother in law kids really loved her a lot and she her passion was to give everybody ginkgo biloba tree that she knew and so we were sitting on the back porch and my son Kevin uh, who works in the industry finally pointed out the window he goes why don't we call it biloba after grandma and we'll call it after the tree and when we read into the whole thing about the tree about being deeply rooted we went hey you know we're planning on being deeply rooted in the community so all the things that kind of flowed out of the definition of the tree we felt fit for what we were trying to do we have community we're based right here and we're not we're not going beyond what we're doing so it's kind of fun well, I, I like how it's a family brewing, and the, <clears throat> even the name of the brewery came out of a, a family story. You yeah. know, the, that's a real fun story. Yeah, we even have the old kitchen table inside that uh, at one point in our house, the ceiling fan fell on the table, and our son had luckily gotten up before it hit him. <laughs> but we put that out here in the tap room, too, and you can actually sit the gouges <laughs> on the table. So. so let's talk about this really being a family brewery. Yeah. There is something truly unique about Beloa in that you have one of the very few female brewers working for you yeah it's kind of fun i mean when we started this uh, just so everybody you know so you understand it's actually owned by my wife oh okay so yeah. she is the owner because she is the owner uh at the time i was still working for breeze in my position i had to dedicate my time fully towards it i had to tell my board of directors that my wife was starting a brewery which was rather comical to do but uh <laughs> so she started up and I, I was open that i would help but eventually you know, i might get involved in it so my wife owns a brewery. We jointly own the building. But so, yeah, my daughter, you know, we, we started up and we had a, a close friend's son come to work for us to help get us off the ground while I was still working. So he really ran a lot of the projects in that before we opened up. Shortly after we got open, though, we decided that uh, my daughter wanted to learn brewing. So we took her up to uh, Stone Cellar. I've got a really good relationship with Steve Lons way up in Appleton. And he brought her in and, and taught her how you know, to do the keg cleaning and things like that. And she got involved in the brewing, and then from there we brought her down here and got her on the small system that we used to have. And so she was doing the majority of the brewing for the first two-plus years. Great. So uh, does she still help you out uh, occasionally? She helps me out when she can, uh, but she has a roughly 18-month-old child, and uh, she doesn't have a lot of time in her. (laughs) (laughs) So she's actually working in the tap room right now. Yeah, so I really want to get to know more about your background with Breeze. You were... President and Chief Operating Officer at Breeze at yeah. the time you retired. Did you start at that position, and what brought you to Breeze? Yeah, well, you really have to go back quite a ways. Uh, I graduated from Madison with a degree in food science, 
Uh, so uh, kind of a funny pathway. I, I started out making ice cream in Los Angeles for a really small grocery store called Safeway Foods. And then from there, I had a number of cheese plants in Wisconsin that wanted to hire me. And uh, we looked at it. We were deciding we would like to have a family. And I let the couple of them know, and very quickly they hired me to come back. So for the five years I did cheese making and got my cheesemaker's license. Uh, then I worked in capital equipment for a while, uh, decided I'd had gotten tired of that. I was traveling the world doing a lot of field work, and I went to work for a company in Milwaukee called Chris Hansen's. And I rose in the ranks from plant manager to being the VP in charge of everything. But what was unique about that experience was I had lactic acid fermentation underneath me, flavors, uh, enzymes, uh, a lot of things that, that play into this, and that was kind of my background. Uh, and then we finally made an acquisition. I inherited a malt extract plant down in Chicago. And that got me to understand what was going on in that. So I left Chris Hansen, and uh, the Brees family was looking for somebody to run the company. And so uh, I got pegged for it. And so I started as president and chief operating officer, and I did that for about 15 years. So now there was <clears throat> tremendous growth at Brees during your time there. Yeah. How did Brees really, being up there and chilling, accommodate all that growth? I mean, obviously there was a combination of not only the great product that Breeze makes, yeah. but also the growth of the craft brewing. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was uh, one of the things that I brought into there was knowledge on uh, the extracts and that. And so we, we did a number of things which got us going, you know, very rapidly in that end. Uh, got us not from just doing malt extracts, but actually got into uh, extracts of different products. For instance, uh, you know, sorghum, like uh, New Grist is made with, things like that. So we started to get into that end. <laughs> got more heavily into the food side of the business. And at the same time, we, we really looked at the malting side to see how we could grow that. And, and so over a number of years, we structured things. A uh, big thing that ended up happening, though, was when I first started, we would buy barley from brokers. Um, and that, that whole area started to disappear, and we decided that uh, we had to do something in order to keep going. And one of the things we did was we found out that there was a barley operation origination program out in Wyoming that we could get involved with. And one thing led to another, and we ended up purchasing that. And that really cemented us in what we could do. And then along the ways, we needed capacity. We were working with other maltsters, and Plant Up in Mantua came up for sale. And everybody believed it couldn't be run. And uh, me and engineer and a few other people went in and decided, yeah, we could bring it back up, and we did. And so that got strengthened that side of it. So during this whole time period, though, I mean, the craft industry was – pretty flat for a number of years. Uh, back in 95, there was a pretty big shakeout. And after that, the industry grew by maybe 2% per year until about 2007. Suddenly it shot up to double digits. And the biggest challenge was how do you meet that demand? How do you get things out of the marketplace? And we, we did a lot of things in order to do that. And that, that is what cemented us in, in growing quite a bit internally. Before we continue, I don't want our listeners to think we're not enjoying your tasty beverages. <laughs> so I'd like to go around the horn and kind of have everybody just tell us what we're drinking. Maybe you can help us uh, describe to our, our listeners kind of what your intention were. And I'll start with myself. I'm having the apple pie. I had this before. I think it's a really nice. It's not what you would think super sweet. It has that nice hint of apple, beautiful color, light. Um, really tasty, refreshing beer for this time of the year. So what did, uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, one of the things we wanted to do is make a beer for, uh, we have friends that are celiacs, and how do you do that? And in order to do that, you have to take grains that are, do not contain the, basically the protein that causes that. And so we formulated the beer with corn and rice and apple, and we fermented. It's an extremely dry beer. It's actually one plate, which means actually it's zero. There's really nothing left in it. Uh, we you know, knowing how to do it and how to rip everything apart was pretty easy. And the beer is refreshing, but that's really what it was meant for. It was to have something out there. We have a lot of people that come in would like a glass of wine. We don't do wine. We're a brewery. Uh, this is a apple ale, and it was the option of being able to do that for people. Yeah, it's a very approachable beer, very uh, easy drinking. No, it's, a, it's, it's great. Alex, what do you got? Let me uh, talk on this one. I, I do like the fact that the apple is kind of subtle. It's not a cider. You know, a, a lot of beers... Uh, call themselves apple beers but they're just ciders you know posing as beers this is definitely an apple beer the uh, the apple's very subtle it's it's a complimentary flavor as opposed to the the most important flavor in that beer the beer that i'm drinking is the uh, the ipa i was pretty excited about this one we've got quite a few different hops in this one well we do we've done this ever since we were open before we opened up we ran a homebrew contest where we supply all the malt 
uh, the hops, you know, pretty much everything that we can, even the yeast. And the whole objective is we, we pick a style of beer, and the first beer we ever brewed was Section 25, and that was to make a beer that would have been made in 1836 in Wisconsin. Oh, cool. Um, so we... About the only hop that was available was cluster, so they had to use cluster. And the only yeast that was available was probably a cold cheese, something like that. But we let people go, and then the winner of that uh, gets to brew a 10. Well, back then they brewed a barrel and a half batch. Section 25 has stayed on ever since we opened. And the main reason it's named Section 25 is that Section 25 is not where we are. It's actually down Blue Mound Road. The first person to settle in this area settled in that township, erected a house in a put in a bar very quickly. So I figured it was a fitting name. <laughs> so, But the beer that you're drinking was this year's homebrew winner. Two brothers submitted different uh, things for the contest, and, and it was a very interesting contest to do because instead of specifying a lot about the beer, the only thing we said was, hey, there's no really Midwestern IPA, so you guys have to go and figure out how to make one. And got a lot of questions, what are you looking for? And I just kept saying, I have no idea. It's up to you. But again, we supplied all the malts and that, and people went off and did it. And we did... Uh, basically triangle tastings with with people and the, the whole premise on the beer was just so you know we're not going to write up a big judging thing on these because we do it internally and we don't have judge we we have some judges but really it's it's people that are just common you know drinkers and we say you know the beer that's going to win is one that tastes good smells good, good and you could drink more than one of so if it meets that and has a chance and I didn't even judge the beers this year. I left it up to all the people who were in there. And uh, we had we had a close thing at the end with three beers, but this one went out. And the main hops in this are uh, Big Lotus Centennial and Amarillo at Flame Out, and then dry hopping with Amarillo and Citra. Uh, so it, it you get that, that grapefruit in there. Uh, you get the citrus notes. Uh, you get the stuff from Amarillo, a little bit of orange, a little bit of lemon, some of those kind of mm-hmm. things. But it's really more of a citrus but the, I think the grapefruit comes through really strong in it. So I'm pretty happy with the beer. It's around 50 IBUs, yes. so it's not a low IBU beer by any means. Yeah, it's it's much more in the traditional IPA style. Uh, everybody's going into the, the New England style or even the West Coast style. This is much more a traditional IPA, and yeah. it's uh, it's fun to go <laughs> fun to go back <laughs> to our roots, you know. Yeah. Uh, Jim, what, uh, what are you drinking there? All right, so for anyone that comes here, they know that the menu tends towards more Belgian-centric uh, style beers. So, of course, I gravitated to the uh, German Bach. I'm really enjoying this. This is a malt-forward beer. Definitely got the German characteristics uh, that you look for, but it's not overly heavy, though I think it's 7.5%, yeah. so still quaffable. Yeah, that beer was uh, kind of fun because what we do is we we knew that we wanted something really malty. So we used a, a actually a dry Munich yeast, uh, 3470 from fermentus and but the main malt bill was uh, bonlander and aromatic from breeze with some two row but really the the munich's dominated in this one uh, not a big hop load in it uh, but we were shooting for a big malty bock and more of a traditional style bock for the time of year so that that was really what came on that beer and that's what we we're trying for so it's got that i would say amber color to it copper amber yeah, yeah, really, yeah, really nice caramel flavors in yeah. that. It's uh, yeah, nice, nice sweet beer. And then, what, Gordon? What are you drinking? Well, you know, my probably my favorite beer, at, Miller Lite. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I got to be honest. I drink PBR every now and then too. You know, <laughs> nothing, so, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I, I like a nice lagers every now and then. No, I'm drinking a Belgian Wit. I, I've been making Belgian Wits for quite a while, and this beer is one that I really enjoy. It took me a long time to formulate this. One of the hard parts about Belgian Wits is getting the malt bill right. So, you know, worked on that for quite a while, and it's, it's pretty traditional. I mean, it is barley, it is oats, and it is wheat, but there is a... In formulating these beers, one thing that I found over all the trials I ever did was that the wheat, malted wheat to unmalted wheat, is really critical in the beer, and it, it gives a big flavor impact. The other thing was we, I mean, do use bitter orange peel in it, but I use coriander. I... Got all the corianders that there are around the world, and there's quite a few. Uh, sat down, made teas, and found one coriander that I like. And in the true Del- Belgian tradition, I'll never, never let anybody know where I get the coriander <laughs> from. But yeah, I, I, I love the wits. They're very nice. I, I really like saisons. You know, the, the Belgian style beers are really something I like. It, you know, it's kind of funny because when we opened up first, we we did not have an IP or anything on tap, and I got a lot of people coming in like, you know, where's the IP? And I'd go. God, you know, there's like 4,000 breweries, they all make an IP, and 
boy, why should I make an IPA? And I almost got badgered into doing it at first, and, <laughs> and so we did. But I like the, you know, kind of like with the apple pie, I don't like things that are in your face. I like things that are, there's nuances in there, you can drink it, you have to actually try to find the flavors. Um, but something that you can sit and drink several of, like this is only 4.5% ABV, you can drink quite a few of them. And, but it's just a very pleasant, nice beer to sit out and drink. Year-round, I don't make it. I, I tend to make it more in the spring than that, but I've had a lot of people telling me they would like to have it year-round. So how has your time at Breeze uh, helped you with formulating recipes with the malts? Did you get a lot of time? I mean, you work every day. Like, you've got everyday activities that, you, you know, you got yeah. fight fires and all that. Yeah. But did you get to take some malts home and, like, have fun with them? Yeah, we actually, uh, it, was, it was sort of funny when, when I started there. We had a pilot plant that was a one one hectoliter system, and it really was a brew-on-premise homebrew system. So we redesigned the whole thing uh, so we could brew really nice beers on it. And then we made a skid with glycol unit and fermenters. And we had three fermenters, and our goal was uh, to never have a fermenter empty and be brewing all the time. So we would brew all the time. Bob Hansen, who still works there, came out of Wall Street Brewery and did quite a bit. So we... We did a lot of brewing together, looking at the things, and I learned about the malts by tasting them and going through them. And so with my background, though, I, I knew formulation pretty well already, uh, what I wanted to do and how I wanted to get about doing it. At Breeze, we brewed a lot of beer. We, we would do, even at uh, Christmas, we, uh, and they still keep the tradition going, we would always make a special Christmas beer for all the employees, and they would get it uh, put in the, a bag that we would walk around and hand out to them. And this year, they, they did a Saison. They did a... Uh, and then they had a black malt extract that has no flavor to it, and they, they made some black Saisons. And so when they gave the bags out, uh, it was kind of you either naughty or nice. You got either a bag of coal or you got a nice Saison. And they, they both taste the same, and there's really no difference in them. But, yeah, it, so it's, it was kind of a fun thing to do, but it, it really teaches you a lot about what's going on, understanding the whole malting process and even the roasting process and the nuances that you get from it. Uh, really helped to be able to be doing better beers than I'd done in the past. That's awesome to hear the background, and the, you're doing a lot of cool stuff here, but before we hear about the stuff you're doing right now and the stuff you're doing in the future, let's talk about this space. How'd you end up here, and uh, is this your second location? Yeah, it was interesting. You know, we spent a fair amount of time, my wife and I, drive around looking at different locations, and we really didn't believe that Brookfield would want a craft brewer. You know, we just thought, eh, I don't think Brookfield's going to go for this, so... Finally, one day, she just made a phone call and, uh, to the offices and said, hey, would you guys welcome a brewery? And the woman said, I think we would, but somebody will get back to you shortly. And literally within a couple of minutes, they called back. We, we set up a meeting, and it was, it was kind of interesting because the one thing I knew that anybody was going to be, uh, would have a problem with would be the wastewater treatment department. So before we even met with anybody, we asked for a meeting with them, sat down, and I, I went over everything about what the BOD loading would be in that, that it's really domestic strength and got them to agree that really didn't have to put some of the stuff in that at first I thought I'd have to, which was good. And then we started talking with the city, and my wife and I really looked at it that we wanted to do, we'd been out to Seattle and Portland quite a bit, and out there, a lot of the tasting rooms, almost all the tasting rooms don't have TVs. They're really places to go and sit and talk, almost like a coffee shop, and we decided we really wanted to do that kind of a, a program here. And the other thing was we we looked at Brookfield, and there really was no place to go and do that. I mean, unless you go to one of the coffee shops and not everybody wants to go to a coffee shop and we thought well okay we'll do that and now where do we go and the economic development group um, really helped us to find a location it ended up that we found on craigslist a rental property around the corner and up the street and so that was our first brewery and it was it was really tight the tasting room was about 600 square feet the brewery was a little over 600 and then there was an alleyway behind basically a basement underneath the parking lot that we had a cooler in that in and so it was it was cramped and we but we made it work and we explained to the city that that'd only be good for two years and we really need to find something else so the city found this building for us and put us in touch with the owner and one thing led to another we decided on on price and we bought the building our goal was to get on brookfield road and have a bigger room so we went from a 600 square foot tasting room to 2,000 square foot and we went from a 600 square foot brewery to about a 680 square foot brewery <laughs> <laughs> still know. an increase yeah it was an increase but the, the big thing that it gave us was underneath the brewery um, because of the way the floor is in here uh, we could we could put barrels down there so we do a lot of barrel aging and you know we don't have to worry about the floor it was kind of funny uh, it's eight inches thick with rebar and everything else and there's large i-beams holding it up so you 
you could probably park a tank in here and it's not going to go. But I had structural engineers look at the whole thing, and we knew that it was safe. So that really led us to being in this location. Then it was doing the build-out. Uh, we, we shut down the other brewery in the fall. It was, I think, September 1 of 15. And we were down until February. We opened up the 1st of February, but we didn't tell anybody. It was kind of funny. We just, <laughs> we just left the door open. And people would wander in and wanting to know, are you open? We go, yeah. And it, it was really to do a lot of soft openings because we, we put in a whole new tap system that was designed so we could fill growlers off the same line that's feeding the tap so the beer is exactly the same um, and you know, a lot of things like that and then we we did our grand opening to the public and announced it was march 1st of 16 so that's pretty much what led us to this location and since that time we've added the, the beer garden out front we put a silo up because people still can't find us uh, <laughs> I, I still to this day i'll get people that come up and go you know i live only five blocks away and i didn't even know you guys existed we're like yeah well you saw the silo yeah and why our logo is going to go on it but the city was even, uh, they, they, they liked the idea of the silo. Well, I'll tell you what, it was my first time here today, and uh, the silo helped. <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> it, helped it sticks it. out pretty good. Yeah, but you yeah. don't even need yeah. signage, honest. I mean, that, there it is. <laughs> yeah, the signage is going up. Our logo is going to be something like nine feet tall on two sides, so I think people nice. will know where, where we are. Now, now, the silo is located out in the front, and doesn't look like it's going to get hooked up to anything, is it? It can. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we, we actually have a cable bay that we could convey back here. We're not necessarily big enough for that. We have uh, barley inside there. Okay. Yeah, we, we put five grains of vacuum-packed inside so we could say it's a, oh. it's a silo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, it's funny doing some of this stuff because uh, we, we didn't really have any. We had one person that was a little bit upset about it because they didn't think that it fit with the village atmosphere, but overall it went pretty good. Yeah. So, And I think it fits in with the, uh, the whole motif of... Uh, uh, this uh, downtown, yeah, yeah, and the the beer garden outside looks beautiful. You know, it's it's nice to be uh, finally getting into some nice weather here. Uh, yeah. I think that's going to be busy during the yeah. summer for you guys. So, is this uh, your last location? Do you have what about expansion? I know you. Yeah, well, it's it's kind of funny with us. I mean, I, I get I get a lot like you know, why aren't you guys out distributing that? You know, this is a family run brewery, and it's really a case of we we like our time. Uh, so we, we we always keep Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, we try to keep with nothing going on. And to get into distribution and get all over the place, I know what comes with that from running businesses, and that's really not us. We would rather do, and you, you can see out front, I mean, all of our beers that are bottled are 750 mil corked, caged, or else they're capped. We don't want to do smaller, although we are going to do smaller in the Lambics. We're going to do 500 mil, but that's probably about as small as we're going to go. And it, it's... We're not distributing the bottles. Uh, we sell them out of here. We do have some distribution of kegs, but it's very limited. And we might expand that, but we're not. our goal is not to get bigger. Our, really, our goal is to stay community-based, uh, maybe build to 500 barrels. We're at about 300 now, and that might be it. I don't want to work 70, 90 hours a week. <laughs> I, I kind of like doing 30. It's really nice. So <laughs> I, I got to ask, and not to give away any state secrets, but 500 barrels is pretty small. Is that economically sustainable? Yeah, it is. I'd say we probably have one thing that a lot of other people have. Uh, we don't have any debt. And we have no outside ownership. It's just my wife and I. So, yeah, it is. Actually, yeah. just your wife. Just, just my wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and my wife is the owner. Yeah. Uh, if any lawmakers are listening. <laughs> yeah. It's... Yeah, so, did she ever pull rank on you? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah it, Jim, as a married guy, you know that. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. yeah I, you know, it's, it's a completely different model. Uh, we set it up to be able to do the things we need to do. Uh, we're very, very efficient on brewing, uh, very efficient on getting the stuff out of the tanks. We, we really have very low loss on beer. Growler filling, we do counter pressure so we don't foam over. We, the taps are all on individual regulators. We're pushing with nitrogen and CO2, and we're doing everything so that we don't lose beer. And that's to be small, you have to be very stingy on your losses, and we're extremely stingy yeah it is it is economically viable it's not something where you know you could you could support three or four families at but it's a good source of income for my daughters and also keeps me in retirement too which is good <laughs> semi right now is a great time to take a break as we come back we we'll talk a little bit more about gordon's brewing system and glitter beer right back after beer news Welcome to Beer News. The easily accessible beer this week is Central Waters Brewhouse Coffee Stout. A coffee lover's delight brewed with coffee from Emma J's, a local roaster in Stevens Point, 
The aroma is coffee, some chocolate and caramel, pours a dark brown with some amber hues. In beer news, Eagle Park continues their role with another hazy IPA can release this Saturday, June 30th. Galaxy will be the featured hop this week. Doors open at 11 a.m. Details on Oscar Blue's Mocha 1050 have been released. Oscar Blue's Brewery will release a very limited amount of bourbon barrel-aged Mocha 1050 Imperial Stout on July 7th, National Chocolate Day, at the Oscar Blue's Boulder, Longmount, and Brevard Taproom locations. It's an Imperial Stout brewed with chocolate and coffee, then aged in bourbon barrels. Sounds delicious. Hope you're checking your Twitter feed this past weekend as Toppling Goliath's SR-71 landed in Decorah. Limited to just 400 bottles, this was a rare release indeed. If you missed out, Toppling Goliath has confirmed that the next release will not be for another number of years. It's a big week at Third Space Brewing. This Saturday, it is barrel-aged red, white, and blue release. Their next release in the Spirit Barrel-Aged series, Red, White, and Blue, is a fruited kettle sour aged in a unique assortment of wine and spirit barrels. Tonight, June 28th, Third Space launches the Happy Place at Estabrook Park Beer Garden, and Friday, they release a special limited edition version of Happy Place, Happy Place Citra. In brewery news, New Belgium Breweries, New Belgium Brewing's 19th annual Tour de Fat will roll into Chicago Humboldt Park on Saturday, June 30th, for a day of festivities celebrating bikes, music, and beer. Anyone that drinks New Belgium beers knows their love for bicycles, so the fun includes a costume group bike ride roaming the streets of Chicago, which will be followed, which will be followed by an afternoon of unforgettable entertainment in Humboldt Park. The third annual Big North will take place at Half Acres Production Facility on August 18th, a festival that features a wide variety of Half Acre beer, including some made exclusively for this event, will go from 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. Tickets went on sale yesterday and typically sell out fast, so check out now, check now to see if any are still left. And finally, the Tap Takeover podcast will be covering the great taste of the Midwest this year. We are asking your We are asking for your input as to which breweries you would like to see us talk to and any questions you might have. Your grammar sucks ass, dude. You've got to write this better. The Tap Takeover podcast will be covering great tastes of the Midwest this year. We are asking for your input as to which breweries you would like to see us talk to and any questions you might want asked. Email us at taptakeoverpodcast at gmail.com with any questions for the great taste vendors. We will also be having an upcoming contest where we will be selecting two lucky winners to record a tasting episode with us in the solid non-fail studios. We will be sampling the original Smells Like Bean Spirit, Imperial Smells Like Bean Spirit, and every single one of the variants. Stay tuned for more info and a video detailing this upcoming contest. This has been Beer News. We are back after some beer news. I don't know how you do it. Amazing every week. All right, let's continue the tasting here before we move on with the episode. We're going to go around the horn, and I'll start it. I'm having the Saison de Bordeaux. Nice color, refreshing beer, just easy drinking. Gordon, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, we do, we do this beer. Uh, we've been doing it for three years now. Uh, we have a beekeeper that comes out to our farm that's been uh, fifth generation, and he really is looking for honey that uh, comes from alfalfa and clover. Turns out he had 12 hives on our property, and some of the bees decided to visit a buckwheat field a little ways away. And so we ended up getting a mix of buckwheat and clover honey out of one of the hives. He couldn't use it, so I ended up buying it, so we ended up using the beer. So this has a, a pretty high amount of honey in it, which really dries it out. Also drives the alcohol up to 9.75. And then the bittering hops, all our hops from our property. Cascade and Centennial, so it's a, you know, somewhat of a, a farm. It's a farmhouse beer that comes from a farm. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when, you, when you told us the background, it makes that beer just—I don't know. It's always the stories that make it taste yeah. better, you know. 
Yeah, let's touch a little bit as we continue the the taste here. A little bit about your farm. How big is it, and where is it located? And yeah. how did you end up with a working farm? It was, it, it's up by Keogh, Wisconsin, and we're in the middle of a 640. We have a half mile long driveway, uh, so we own about 46 acres. It's pretty heavily wooded. Uh, more than half the property is sugar maple, beech, and other trees. But it, last time I was logged was about 1840. So our trees tend to be a good two feet in diameter, and they're straight and they're tall. And then the fields were all fallow. We we decided to plow some under just to do some fun stuff. And we originally we put in almost an acre of hops, uh, and hops are really not a lot of fun to deal with. Uh, we we pulled that out. We lined the driveway with hops, so now we have probably about maybe a tenth of an acre. Or so that's enough hops that we do a wet hop beer in the fall and that. And and we we do harvest hops, dry them. And then we hold them back for doing some of the Belgian beers that we do as bittering. So it comes from our farm. We we do harvest maple sap. It's kind of funny. I mean, I've made maple syrup. Quite frankly, I'd rather use the sap as a water and beer. And so we, we will be doing a Pilsner that will be, all the water will be the maple sap. Uh, so it's about 20% adjunct Pilsner. And that should be, you know, about a month and a half out doing those kind of things. We, we've, we've done some really crazy stuff talked a little bit about this but I guess I might as well talk about it now we decided at one point that you know Ken Grossman and Sierra Nevada make an estate beer and so we just got the stupid idea of growing barley on our farm uh, the only problem we had was when it came time to harvest it our farmer that comes in got to our driveway and his combine was about six feet wider than the tree line driveway <laughs> so he couldn't get in he didn't really want to drive through the neighbor's cornfield although I tried to bribe him <laughs> so we ended up hand harvesting all the barley my wife and I and I did videotape, which was really funny. I was going to put it out on a blog just just to show how stupid it was because we we, we harvested it in 55-gallon drums, brought it down to Brookfield, figured out that if we threw it on the ground and walked on with my tennis shoes, I could actually get the barley off. Uh, then I panned it. Uh, actually, I threw it through a quarter-inch garden screen to get big stuff so it didn't fall through. Then I panned it to get the right size barley. Got over 100 pounds, and the first really dumb mistake was I threw all the chaff and everything on our lawn. And in about two weeks, we had barley growing in our <laughs> um, But then we, we, we malted the barley, and uh, it was funny because we went to kiln it, and we really were looking for a light-colored barley, and off the kiln, we ended up getting a, about a nine-color Munich, which is pretty much a Bondlander. And then we, we wanted part of it to be roasted, and uh, the idea was to get about a 90-color on the roaster, and it was actually, no, like a 120 the color was 90, and when we turned around, the roaster was smoking. It's a small <laughs> coffee tent, and we ended up with 275 colors. So we decided Ooh. to make a, an estate Grand Cru that was a Belgian style. Uh, so the water was all from the maple trees. The barley was all from our property. Hops were from our property, and I caught the yeast on my property, which is sort oh. of a way of saying it. Uh, somebody threw me a smack pack, and I caught it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. uh, but it, it was fun. We made the beer. Uh, we we sent it out to uh, Sierra Nevada as a, kind of a joke because we know Ken and other people out there and said, well, you may have an estate beer. We have an estate Grand Cru beer that was all done within 15 <laughs> miles. And unbeknownst to me and Bob Hansen, he decided to run through the quality program and it scored extremely well. So, <laughs> so, it was, you know, so the joke was on us. But, yeah, it, it, the farm is, is really set up. I, I really enjoy the outdoor and I do a lot of stuff. But... Uh, we do get some ingredients off, and we use them in some of the beers. Uh, like you said, the Saison de Bourdon has hops in it and has honey that came from our farm. Great. So, Alex, what are you drinking? <clears throat> uh, I've got uh, another IPA, <laughs> or uh, an IPA style. This is the uh, Rye of the Wards. I saw Mosaic Hops, and I was sold. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Mosaic, and I'm getting some of those those big, you know, juicy flavors on this. But uh, also, I don't know, the, the malt backbone is really interesting. What uh, what'd you guys go with on this one? The malt itself was uh, just a regular two-row, but the big thing we used was caramel rye in it, and there's a little bit of rye, so that's why the rye portion uh, statement in there. Uh, caramel rye is a nice product uh, in that it's it's close to 10% of the, the formulation, and it, uh, the roasting process tends to tame the rye a little bit, so you don't get that, all that spiciness, but you do get a nice flavor from it. So we, it's hopped with citra and mosaic. That's probably getting close to the end of where I want it to be, and we'll do something different. But that beer started out as a pale ale and kind of morphed into this. And, you know, as it, as it goes in a tasting room, I'm getting a lot of uh, fan input that they want to go back to more of a pale ale hmm. <laughs> in a nice way. 
I, I kind of like this one. Uh, that that malt bill adds uh, a nice sweetness on the back end that uh, you don't always get with just a traditional IPA. I I really like this one. Uh, Jim, how about you? It's kind of the stick with what you know process that we're doing here. I'm again with another kind of German style. This is a citrus vice. So kind of a, a great Weiss beer uh, that's already got the orange put right into it. I'm really loving this beer so far. It's a great Weiss space, and the citrus is really coming in. It's there, but it's not overpowering. It's totally balanced. This is blowing my socks off, honestly. I could drink a lot of this. Oh, God. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, and, and I think this is a running theme that we're, we're seeing here in this day and age of over-the-top beers, adjunct heavy stouts we're seeing extremely well balanced beers easily drinkable beers uh being made here citrus weiss is kind of fun because we we do have weissens and when i first started doing them i thought you know it'd be more of a seasonal type thing and we were brewing them on our small system for the longest time making 45 gallons and after we moved in this location uh, last spring i made 45 gallons and got three half barrels out of it and we blew through three half barrels in a week and a half and I realized I had to go bigger, so I went to a bigger batch. This was kind of a fun one in that you, know, you, you can do a lot of stuff with yeast if you really understand them and you can do some fun fun things. This, the citrus all comes from the Hefeweizen strain. Uh, what we did was we un- really underpitched it. Okay, under-pitched so there is no citrus addition no, to this? No citrus addition. Wow, because this is there's definitely a citrus flavor yeah. on this. Yeah, we actually underpitched. Uh, we put in about 20% of the normal yeast load that you would have. So when we transferred the beer out of primary, there was a, there was no yeast on the bottom of the tank. It still was in suspension. So the, the, the yeast was really stressed. And that's one of the things on Hefeweizen's, if you want to bring out the flavor, you, you have to stress the yeast, not to that extent. But we had done this on a smaller scale a couple of times and, and made the same beer. But it does show that what you can do with the yeast strain. So, yeah, there's no, there is no bacteria in that. It was not soured. It was strictly the Hefeweizen strain, and I've had people asking if I'm going to keep it, but on the flip side, I have probably 10 times the number of people are like, we really want the Hefeweizen back, so the Hefeweizen will come back shortly. Oh, well, that's too bad, because this is fantastic. <laughs> it's uh, blowing your socks off. It is. It, it's <laughs> blowing my socks off in the final. I, I, I th- thought for I think, sure. I think the expression is knocking your socks off. I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure how one would blow one's socks off. <laughs> they tried doing that Death Busters. It didn't quite work. <laughs> and I'm drinking... Uh, same thing. Blah, blah, blah. The hey, hey, Gordo, your house, your rules. So. Back around for the second time. So let's use this opportunity to talk about, I was, uh, during research on your Facebook page, saw Glitter Beer. Yeah. Now, what was that? Well, it was, it was kind of funny at our, our uh, anniversary party. Shimmer Beer is, a uh, number of breweries have done it. And it's really pretty easy. It's, uh, it's an FDA-approved product that they use on cakes. So when you see the silver topping of that, that's actually luster dust. And there's a certain amount you have to add to beer, and I'll just come out and tell everybody, it's about 15 grams into a half barrel. And so you can buy a small amount. Uh, but what's what's really, really shocking about it is when you pour the beer uh, and you hold up the light, it reflects, and you can actually see the shimmer swirling inside the beer. So we had a lot of people coming in and drinking the beer, and I, I want to make this statement right now. I'm not going to do a green beer, although I had a lot of people ask me to do one for <laughs> a, a shimmer beer green for St. Paddy's. I, I just can't do that. That's just, I can't do it. But, yeah, it, it, it's fun to do some of these things just as a one-off and let people see it. You know, funny you should mention St. Patrick's Day because I was here at St. Patrick's Day this year. Tell us about that one beer. What was it this year that had a special release? Oh, yeah, we do some, that time of year, we do some fun beers. And so we, we typically do a traditional style stout, which is an Irish stout, and it's only about, it's under 4% alcohol. And then we do a traditional Irish red, again, trying to keep there. But the, the beer that we decided to release was we took a porter and we... Yeah, that's the one. We made it uh, taste <laughs> like uh, Irish coffee. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, with a bourbon flavor and everything. And we did not add bourbon to it or anything. It was, it was a, a flavorant that we knew of. And we... The, the interesting part is in the front we had the stout regular back here at the brewery. We, we put on nitro. And through the d- course of the day, uh, we got a lot of people that wanted a blend of the two on nitro. And, it, you know, we, we only created, and all those beers, three half barrels. And when they were gone, they were gone. But I had enough left that at the end I, I had two half barrels and maybe had about two gallons in them. I mixed them together. And so I put the Irish coffee stout porter on tap on nitro. 
and people were just inhaling it, and it, it went within a few hours. It was gone. It was it was a lot of fun. They're they're fun beers to do. It's not something you can do every day. But the the Shimmer beer has gotten pretty good press, where a lot of people are doing it. Red Eye up in Wausau just did one, and Kevin does a really good job in all of his brewing. All right, so we definitely want to know more about what's coming up this year. But before we get started, we, we took that little break, and you were talking about your homebrew experience and your stories back then. Tell the listeners a little bit about that. Yeah, first of all, I want to point out it started in 74. Homebrewing didn't become legal until 1979 with President Jimmy Carter signing the law. Just FYI, FBI may be showing up at your door. Yeah, well, they are now. Thanks, Jim. Yeah, thank you. The statute of limitations might be done on that well, it's, it's kind of funny. I mean, you, you, you're in college and you're, you're dirt poor. I, I still remember we could buy Wisconsin Club two cases of beer for like three ninety five or something <laughs> like that. And, you know, get it cold enough, you can drink anything. But decided that, you know, being in food science, it'd be fun to do some fermentation. So this story did not relate, but it's kind of the first thing we ever did was my mother, bless her soul, would always send me uh, old time lemonade mix. And we decided to ferment lemonade. And don't ever do it. Uh, one mouthful, and you just basically puckered for the rest of your life. And uh, but we had we did that. We, you know, we we played off and on. The ingredients back then were, were wretched. The extracts were all old. They had had Maillard reactions. They tasted really bad. The yeast was labeled as brewing yeast. It really was bread making yeast. And you had to buy a hopped extract, and who knows what it was hopped with. And every beer was dark because there was nothing that was light. I kind of fell away for a while, and then when my my oldest was born, decided to take back up home brewing in Richland Center, Wisconsin. And again, there really wasn't a lot around at that time, information-wise. Uh, this was 82. You know, starting to come out, but uh, I decided to make a batch of beer. And I didn't have any bottles when it came bottling time, so I had a bunch of blue ball glass jars for canning and i thought i thought mason jars they should work uh but you know it was about two weeks later we were in the uh living room of the house watching tv and the beer was all below her crib down in the basement and we heard the sound of whoomp and uh, first thought what's that and a minute later another one went off and i went to the basement door and i realized it was all the beer blowing up in the basement and uh, you know so we've had some i've had some real catastrophes in my life but you learn from what you do and and you, you just go forward from there so uh, any any of the recipes from your old home brewing days, uh, any of those still in effect, uh, still being made at the brewery here? No. <laughs> <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of failed experiments. <laughs> yeah, you know, a lot of family experience. It, it, it's sort of fun. I mean, we, we, we do vast majority of the formulations we do here. We, we go right from uh, idea right to 10 barrel brew house. Again, I'll mention his name. Bob Hansen made a very good Scottish ale. And so when it came time, I had a friend who, a very close friend who, had melanoma and uh, we wanted to do something for him we wanted to make a beer he really likes scotch uh, so we decided to make a scotch ale i asked him for the recipe i said bob i don't really want to screw around uh, this recipe is really good how about if we just take it so we do get recipes occasionally like that but not a lot but there's a couple like that but the the ones i made when i was younger were they were really bad beers <laughs> they really were uh, so i don't want to go back to those types <laughs> All right, so let's crack into this, uh, your Russian Imperial Stout. It's a bottle that's been sitting here, room temperature, perfect. Can you tell us a little bit about this one? Yeah, we do, uh, we do a fair amount of barrel aging, uh, and we do releases on them most of the time. Uh, this was our Black Friday release uh, this past year, and we, we held back. We sold 500 bottles the first day. We held back about uh, 500, and we've been selling them off one by one, but now it's to the point of that we re-released at our... Uh, opening party last uh, grand opening last week uh, this beer pretty typical russian imperial stout big malt bill it's all centennial hops when it came time to do the bottle conditioning we tried a number of different sugars and then what we did was we just simply put the beers out and let people try them in the tap room and what came out was that molasses one that we did came out with just a really nice flavor. Molasses really rounded things out, and everybody preferred that. I mean, they, nobody would like the sugar, nobody liked the maple syrup, and on down the line, but the molasses really shined. So this was bottled conditioned with molasses, and it is aged out very well. It's best served just about at room temperature, and really the thing that I like with this beer is I've already sat down with a nice big piece of blue cheese, like Maytag Blue, something really nice, and just sip the beer and eat the cheese, and it's... Uh, I shouldn't say, but it's close to being in heaven. It's, it's just really nice. This beer was a year in bourbon barrels. Uh, we, we kept back 110 gallons 
for the release next year. So that'll be a two-year-old Russian Imperial Stout. But we'll also have a, a fresh beer. We've done this in the past. We've done breakfast stouts, things like that. Uh, pretty picky on the barrels. Uh, go and smell them, find the barrel that I really like for this kind of a beer, and then we go from there. So you'll pick up dark fruits on this. You'll get the molasses flavor, a little bit of licorice on the nose, even on the, the tongue, and it's a pretty smooth beer. It, it clocks in above 12%, almost 14% alcohol. We don't put on the label, but it's a big beer. It's yeah. really smooth for being a big beer. Yeah, there touch of booze still on this. I'd be really interested to see how the, the second year of aging yeah. kind of mellows this out. Yeah, we, we continue to pull samples of the barrels in the basement. Uh, and uh, th- this one's aging out, though. I mean, it, it has changed in the past six months. You know, this is now 18 months old. It's kind of a strange beer to be doing release in the spring, but it still is a, just a fantastic beer to sit down and sip. Yeah, it's really nice. I'm, I'm yeah. getting those uh, those dark dark fruit flavors. Uh, the the barrel's real subtle, or it's fallen off a little bit yeah. uh, since they released. But it's uh, or it's fallen into the beer. I guess yeah. is a better way to put it. Uh, a little bit of dryness, uh, a little bit of that oak and vanilla, but just a really nice, smooth, well balanced beer at this point. Yeah, the thing we decided on this, we we had been using bullet bourbon barrels. Uh, we'd use Woodford Reserve. We used Old Fitzgerald for this. And Old Fitzgerald whiskey is kind of known for a, a more mellow kind of flavor, and that's why we picked those kind of barrels for this beer. As we savor this great Russian Imperial Stout, as our listeners know, I'm the brewing nerd on the podcast, so I really want to get into the technicals of your brew system here. So it's a gas-fired system, which is unique, but you're also saying that you've got a unique setup that prevents any of the caramelization of the beer. Yeah, to go through the system, you know, after working at Brees and really understanding what you can do. We decided to put in a 10-barrel system, and we I put together, actually designed it, and had fabricators I know in Watertown, uh, Peterson Custom Stainless, they only do jobs, come up with uh, putting together brew systems. It, it sort of starts with our mash lauder ton. We have agitation in it. We have surface on it, but we don't use a boiler. We have an external calandry that's gas-fired, and it has 250 feet of inch and a half stainless tubing in it, going up and going down, and then counterflow on the the heat, but what's unique is we have a burner that's controllable from 40,000 BTUs to 400,000. We can control the temperature very accurately and do step mashing and everything uh, through the system. Lauder ton is is fairly tricked out. It, uh, typical 10 barrel lauder ton would have one draw point. We have five. Uh, it's really kind of designed as a pilot plant. We also are pretty automated on it. Uh, we're running everything off an Allen Bradley PLC. Uh, we have differential level control on the water ton so we can see what's going on. Uh, all of our pumps in here look bigger than normal, but uh, I was doing process engineering for quite a while with the equipment company, and they're the right size, and they're all inverted so we can vary the speed from nothing all the way up. So you go through the system. It's very flexible, very easy to run. Uh, when we go back in the kettle, we turn the cl- uh, external calandria back into a heater, and we'll bring the, the product up to boil. Uh, we come out of the tank at about 208 degrees, Coming out of the calandria, we're at 218, and we go into an inverted china hat and it flashes, and we it cools right down to 208. So if you look at some of the beers in a glass, like in the Belgian Wit, uh, you'll see it's very light in color. We don't get a lot of color pickup. We do flip the tank quite a bit. We flip it about 35 times in an hour, and but we're very easy, good on controlling it. We did an analysis on how much gas it takes to do this, and we're, we're really stingy. We're like... 11 or $12 for a 10-barrel batch. Wow. But we're doing some interesting things, too. We, we don't use a hot liquor tank. We use instant hot wire heaters that are 98% efficient. We come off those at 180. Uh, when we're watering in that, we're running those. Um, even the foundation water, when we first start out mixing in that, it's, it's all off the instant hot wire heaters. So we can control it very well. Uh, we knock out 10 barrels in about 20 minutes at the most and uh, over to the fermenters, and we have very good control of the temperature of that, too, going out. It's an v- extremely flexible unit that we can do a lot of stuff on, which is what I was looking for something to play with. We can scale it down. About the lowest we can go right now is seven barrels because of where my temperature probes are. Uh, I could go down lower based on it, and I can go really high. So we've made high gravity and really low gravity on it already. So I was just wanted to ask about your water chemistry. We're just outside the Lake Michigan Basin. Mm-hmm. I think all your water is going to be well water, or is it supplied by the city? Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny. I mean, a lot of people uh, really get into uh, the water chemistry of, you know, ROing it, adding minerals back. Uh, we trust the people of Brookfield to produce good water for us. <laughs> <laughs> so they, the only thing we do with the water, it's, it's strictly right uh, straight Brookfield water. It is extremely hard. 
Uh, we do run it through activated carbon because they really hit it with a lot of chlorine, and we do go through a water softener. The only way that we vary mineral content in that is by varying how much soft water we use. Uh, okay. We figure out about what we're going for, and we will mash in with a set amount, and then when we're partway through water, we'll go back to hard water or vice versa. Um, you know, you, it's interesting because you have the water source, and you have to learn to brew with it, or you can go the other route and try to make the water be what it is. But, yeah. you know, you really can't make pills in water. Yeah, <laughs> no matter what you do. Uh, so no, we or any burden we, on Trent or yep, we use all the water just right from here, and it's Brookfield City water, which astonishes a lot of people that we do what we do with it. I want to talk about your barrel aging program. You were talking; you have some space underneath in the basement. What else are you aging down there? Yeah, we do quite a bit. Uh, we we have bourbon barrels, red wine barrels, and white wine barrels. We're going to be releasing our Frambois, which is a lambic style beer. We'll also be releasing a, uh, a Creek, which is Door County Cherries. These will be approximately 1,000 bottle releases, about half 750 mil and the other half 500 mil corking cage. But, you know, the big thing we're doing that I think is pretty unique is that we're, we're blending. We have now four-year-old Lambics. Uh, so this is a, a blend of four-year-old Lambic with one year and then uh, quite a bit of concentrate you know being put into there we've done whole cherries we've really come to the point that we really want to do something that's clean and, and that's how we bring it back up we do some crazy stuff downstairs we we have a hefeweizen that's in a bourbon barrel aging uh, <laughs> shock looks from everybody it's like an oxymoron <laughs> it, it tastes really good it didn't pick up any bourbon it's just getting more and more mellow with time well, that's um, interesting we do saison and oak which is uh, long age in pinot noir barrels that we source we have a couple of brett beers which and a lot of people cringe when they hear brett and that and we have we have still beers right next to them like smoking grandma and, but we're very conscious of how to clean things and how to keep things separate and the brett beers are uh one our anniversary party, we had one that was just straight Brett that we harvested from Brookfield, so it was Brookfield Brett, <laughs> and uh, out of the air. I, I know that guy. <laughs> which probably makes other people cringe when they hear that. And then one of them was uh, Brett that came off flowers that we harvested and we cultured back up. And that hmm. that one is a, it's a farmhouse style stout, and the Brett that we used, there's no roasty character or anything to it. It's just a really nice black beer, very enjoyable to drink. So. We run the whole gamut. We do, uh, you know, things like Russian Imperial Stout, Smoking Grandma, other things in the barrels. And right next to them are ones that have Brett Lambic in it, and some have Wild Brett, and some have Bacteria. You know, getting back to the beers, though, the big thing that we don't do is we don't use Pediococci, which gives a really harsh uh, sour. We're using uh, lactic strains, and in fact, behind is a tank that has... Berliner Weiss in it that we worked with Chris Hansen in Milwaukee. Most of, most of the bacteria people are using are just... Lactic bacteria, normal temperatures. We actually use a thermophile, so we held the beer at 105 degrees, so we did calcellary with a single-strain bacteria. And uh, it, it's, it's got a very pleasant lactic, uh, not in your face, and we'll be adding uh, a lot of apricots to it oh. and making apricot Berliner Weiss. Oh, that sounds like fun. Yeah, we've done that a couple of summers, so it's a really nice beer. Yeah, love a good fruited Berliner. Yeah. It's yeah. summer. So uh, speaking of uh, aging beers in the barrels, uh, one subject that's been a little bit controversial on the program is the idea of aging the bottles once uh, once they're released. We're big fans of the experimentation, you know, throwing it in your cellar and kind of seeing how those flavors change over time. And we've kind of gone through this uh, this Russian Imperial Stout, which yeah. is about six months old, and talked about how the changes go. Where do you kind of fall on this? We, we have kind of two schools of thought, and people fall all the way in the middle. Yeah. Um, it's either... The beer is perfect, we've aged it for you, and you should drink it now. Or some folks fall into the, uh, go ahead, you know, experiment and, uh, and put it in your, so, some folks even encourage you to, uh, to put it in your cellar and age it for a bit. Where, where kind of do you fall on that spectrum? Yeah, I, I kind of fall on both ends of it. I, I, I guess I should really talk about what we do, which I, I, I don't know that a lot of breweries do. We bottle condition everything. So we, we use a yeast, which is meant strictly for bottle conditioning. So if somebody decides to try to harvest our yeast out of this, you're going to get a bottle conditioning yeast. It's not going to be what you think it is. Uh, <laughs> uh, but you know, the reason we do it is if you force carbonate the beer and put it in the bottle, which a lot of people do. I know very few people do bottle condition because it's time-consuming, it's costly. But if you do that, you can't keep oxygen out. There's no way. There's always going to be oxygen in there. So if you age the beer that's like that, you will get uh, oxygen degradation. You'll get compounds. And make, they make flavors. I mean, putting in a wooden barrel does. 
But when we add yeast to it, even though there's a headspace that has oxygen in it, that consumes all the oxygen. So these beers have no oxygen left in them. Uh, they can be aged. We're pulling beers in, out of my cellar that are now 16 years old, and they're, they're really good beers. They do change with age. In the aging process, we're using a very small amount of, of yeast in bottle conditioning. Uh, it's a very light dusting on the bottom, but you do get autolysis of yeast, which releases flavors and changes it. And uh, not, I mean, you can get all the science behind it. But, it, you know, I, I think that be- some beers are meant to be consumed fresh, and they should be. Uh, if we do a beer that's, say, uh, a 6% alcohol, I, I tell people, you know, this is really meant to be consumed now. If you're doing something that's high alcohol, 10 plus, uh, getting up there. 1820. 1820, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's not the name of a brewery. That's actually a beer. Uh, we, you know, you, you can get it. You can age them for quite a bit longer. What he's referring to is we, we just did a beer, and we took it down to Nashville, which is kind of a funny story for the Craft Brewers Convention. But uh, we fermented a beer in 60 hours that uh, in, a, in a bourbon barrel, fresh bourbon barrel. Uh, so the beer itself was about 18.5% alcohol. Probably is more like 20 to the bourbon <laughs> barrel. But it was, it was kind of fun doing it, except that we kegged it off to send to Nashville, and I got a love note from the Brewers Association and found out that Nashville, you can't bring anything in over 10% alcohol, so we had to dilute it down to ship it down to Nashville. <laughs> yeah, and so we diluted it down 10%. But the whole idea was to show uh, a beer it's a, a new strain of yeast uh, that's not on the market yet, just coming into the U.S. Breaking news. Breaking news. It's called HA18. For the geeks out there, we started with 31 Play-Doh, and it took 60 hours to get it down to one Play-Doh. Yeah, that, that is ridiculous. I thought that was like a mistype <clears throat> no. uh, when, I, when I saw 60 hours to get to that ABV. Yeah, the, the, the interesting part was I, I was shocked. My, my son who works for Fermentus knew that it would do it. It came that it was at 1.5 Play-Doh, but if you did the temperature correction, it was one Play-Doh. So, again, 60 hours producing that much level of alcohol, yeast, when they work, produce a lot of heat. I mean, did the fermenter actually catch on fire? (laughs) (laughs) But it was like a volcano. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I threw the yeast and I came in the next morning. There was beer all over the floor. About two gallons (laughs) put it out of the barrel. Yeah, it was was impressive. I wish I would have put a time-lapse camera on it. I think next time I'll do that. But, you know, we're kind of playing with these things. Uh, Don't really know what alcohol content it can go to. Probably the next experiment I'm going to do is brew another 30% alcohol, uh, 33% alcohol. God. We shouldn't be drinking the stout. That's what we shouldn't be doing. Uh, no, you the, want to get nuts? Yeah. Let's get nuts. No, the plan is to, to brew one, put it in. We have a small cycle conical behind you that's about 50 gallons. And my plan is to start the fermentation. When it reaches five Play-Doh, I'll start injecting 50% sucrose to see when I can get the, the yeast to actually die. And when it dies, uh, because I, I can weigh everything and I, I have peristaltic pumps that I can measure fluorine, I'll be able to calculate the alcohol content, and I want to see where it goes. The other thing I'm, I'm looking at making is, seeing I made that beer so fast, I, I'm going to make a 7,200-second uh, IPA because I don't want to make a 120. <laughs> <laughs> just you know you gotta make something different uh continuously hopped you know we're gonna do that kind of a, a crazy thing but yeah it, it's I, I i've got kind of a nice luxury in that uh, with my son working for a yeast company i get to play with nice yeast strains because i used to work for chris hansen knowing the people there i can get a whole bacteria strains that um you know and i and i understand the cheese making side which are lactic bacteria so i can actually say well i'd like to do use a cream horse or I want to use this kind of a bacteria, and I can get it, and then I can play with it. So I think that's something that sets us apart, too, is we can use single strains, we understand what they are, and we know how to do it. I think that's pretty cool that you're able to take a, a lifetime of experience in different industries and, and kind of bring it all to bear on the uh, uh, on the brewing aspect of it. That, that is pretty fun. As we're wrapping up here, uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, 2018? Any challenges? Uh, any kind of uh, big releases that you guys kind of have coming up? The big thing we're planning on doing is obviously the Lambics, but we're, we're looking at expanding our barrel program more. Uh, we'll never get really big on the barrel side. Uh, but we want to be able to do fun things, you know, for instance, like the Hefeweizen. I don't know if anybody's going to throw a Hefeweizen in a bourbon <laughs> barrel. We decided to do it. Uh, we, but we're playing with uh, with some other ones. Uh, we own, actually own a cool ship. Uh, we have a cool ship that's about seven barrel that we can wheel in here. Uh, it's, right, it's right dimensions for a cool ship, too. So we'll probably do just another wild Brookfield beer where we'll set up outside and put a tarp over it and 
or a canopy so the air can flow but nothing drops in it from the sky other than yeast, <laughs> you know, but not from a bird. And, bird to poop. <laughs> bird to poop, yeah. Well, you do have a silo. Yeah, we, do, we do have a silo. Uh, I mean, it's kind of fun because we, you know, if you look at our board, we have, we have 14 taps. One is root beer. Uh, we don't. Uh, we make a natural root beer with no coloring in it, so it's, it looks like beer. It's kind of funny to see kids drinking it. But uh, <laughs> but the other 13 taps, we dedicate five to pretty much uh, five beers that we have on tap all the time. The rest of them rotate, and that can be frustrating for people because they like a beer and they want to see it again, and we just kind of go. Oh, like the citrus vice? Yeah, like the citrus vice. <laughs> We've done as many as 50 beers in a year. That, that's part of our thing. Being semi-retired, I guess I have to say, I like the challenge of trying different things. It's a lot of fun to play with. I'm a tinkerer. Uh, also, if I had to make the same beer day in the day out, I wouldn't be doing this. So it, it is, I, I spend a lot of time every week basically redoing our whole board on what beers are in tap because we, we flip them all constant. It's just constant. Awesome. We're actually planning our next anniversary party already, which is crazy. Talking to past homebrew winners a little bit about some ideas I have. I, I, I can announce it now. I mean, one of the things I'm going to do is let the four previous year winners, because it's going to be our fifth, collaborate, decide on their own beer, brew it, don't tell me what it is, and then they get to be the ones to release it here. Oh, but I'm only letting cool. them do a 45-gallon batch. I'm only going to do a 10-barrel. <laughs> <laughs> not going that extreme. That sounds like fun. Well, uh, I think that's going to do it for us for today. Uh, it looks like we are out of beer for the moment, so we might head into the tap room and grab another one. But uh, that's going to do it for the program. And, Gordon, thank you again so much for having us. Uh, it's been a, a wonderful trip out here to uh, lovely Brookfield, and uh, we will catch you guys next time. Well, thanks for coming. Right. Prost. Cheers. Cheers. So uh, for me, for Alex. Jesus. Gordon. And I'm Jim. All right. It's been a, another solid non-fail production. No more beer.